Welcome to the Hope Starts Here podcast, designed for open discussions where families, businesses, child educators, and more share stories on topics supporting the overall well-being of Detroit families on all sides of the spectrum. So come join the discussion. Join us at the table. Welcome to our third episode of the Hope Starts Here Table Talk series. Today, we're joined by a dynamic group of community and education leaders. Uh, we wanted to have a conversation this round about transitions. What are the transitions and the supports that are necessary for young children who are transitioning from home to school? Uh, so when I say school, we're talking about early childhood programs as well as that transition to kindergarten, uh, first grade, particularly now that we've had some children who have been at home during a year of COVID. Um, so want to think about our makeup of our community, what those children need, how they can be supported, and how this illustrious panel is doing that. So I'm going to start with some introductions. Do you want to start? Sure. Okay. So my name is Alejandra Gomez. I am Urban Neighborhood Initiatives Education Initiatives Director. Hi, my name is April Imperio, and I'm the Executive Director of K-12 Literacy and Early Learning and Montessori for Detroit Public Schools Community District. Good evening. My name is Wendy Lamar. I am with Black Family Development. I've been with them for 21 years in various early childhood programs. Currently, I am serving as the Collective Impact Manager and really excited to be here. I'm Rajeshri Gandhi Bhatia. I am the Deputy Director for Performance for Grand Valley State University's Charter School Office. So in that capacity, I work directly with the schools in the Detroit and Metro Detroit area. Hello, I'm Janine Edwards, and I am Program Director at Black Family Development. Um, been there for three years. Three programs that I support, which is Detroit Source Scholarship Program, Lena Start, and Parents as Teachers. Thank you. Hello, good evening. My name is Najwa Dada. I'm the founder and uh, CEO of Empowered Child Care Consulting, founded in 2016. I uh, do training in professional development. I'm also an educator at Wayne County Community College, a new faculty. Awesome. So we already have some connections here that, that I knew were appearing, some I'm learning about. I want this to really be a conversation. So if I ask a question or provide a prompt, and I may not direct it to you at the moment, but you have a response, do feel free to add to that conversation. Okay, we want to make it as rich as possible. Awesome. All right, thank you. So let's start with just um, thinking about our community. We know that it's very diverse in culture and um, the backgrounds and experiences economically. There are different stratas that exist. Um, some butted up against each other now. So you may have a diverse economic strata in a particular school or setting. But how are those children learning together, learning from each other? other. So I'm wondering if you could think about children who might meet some of those specifications, uh, those types of families, and in doing that, provide some of the supports that you're providing or even some of the shared experiences that you have engaged with them. Okay. We're going to start with you, Mrs. Dada. 
It's oh, a big question. Um, <laughs> so as an immigrant myself, immigrating with my family in 1977 in the southwest Detroit area, um, I really found it a big challenge to find resources and how to transition to public schools. Parents of immigrant children, they're lost. There's a lot that they need to connect and um, be able to have relationships and connections to people that look like them, that speak like them. I think we just need to be supportive, sensitive, and understanding to those um, challenges without judgments. Hmm, without judgment. Nice. I like that. April, what have been your experiences? My experiences definitely led me to believe that many of the families that we interact with deeply care about finding the right early learning environment for their children. I represent GSRP pre-K. We also have a public Montessori program. And families come in and they ask questions. They want to know, is the teacher certified? What do you do for reading? How are you teaching literacy? And so I also get calls from the suburbs of families that are looking for an early learning environment that's diverse. And they're wondering what we have to offer to have their child participate in a program that offers more diversity than they might see. So a wide range of families that are immigrating to our country, families that are native Detroiters that are are seeking the best possible education for their child and families that are looking at like, what is all this buzz I'm hearing? about Detroit public schools and, and it, it, does my child fit in there? Yeah, that's very interesting that uh, you would have calls for families who are seeking diversity. Can you expand on that a little bit and I'm going uh, to allow others to weigh in. Have they shared with you why why that's important for them or their children? Yeah, yeah. a recent conversation I had with a family who was inter- was interested in our Montessori program she was naming to me that you know diversity is a part of our future and in order to be ready to lead in or to work or to advance in our society. We have to be in a place where we more deeply understand the identities and the humanity of individuals that look like us and individuals that don't look like us, that have similar experiences or different experiences. And this family simply didn't want their child in in an environment that they didn't have the opportunity to get to know kids and families uh, with a variety of backgrounds. Awesome. I'm so thrilled to hear that. We know that children who are uh, have diverse backgrounds, especially when we're talking about economics, typically grow up to be more empathetic and appreciate differences. So I'm glad to hear that that parent was seeking someone out to help them with that. Janine, I want to hear from you and, yes. um, and thinking about <laughs> the supports you in your work with SOARS and other, you know, uh, your Black Family Development does that kind of work in general, but SOARS specifically for the scholarships. Yes, and I was going to piggyback off of what I April felt said, already, <laughs> what so, said yeah. because you brought up at parents asking those questions. Is the, is the teacher certified? The curriculum. And I'd like to feel that our programs, because our, our SOAR program, specifically scholarship program, we entered, we're introducing high quality early learning and early childhood or centers to families. You know, because some of our families are like, they don't know what high quality early childhood looks like, right? And so they don't know to ask those questions at times. And so I would like to think that we're helping to maybe bridge that gap, introducing what high quality childcare looks like. And so when you had said you have parents asking that question or families asking that question, I like to think we'd help a little bit, you know, that our, our program is helping to bring that knowledge to the city of Detroit and to our families and our communities. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, Alejandra, I'm going to come to you next. 
a key focus of Hope Stars here really is this cooperative or collective action uh, so that we're working strategically together. We have a common vision. We have a common understanding of that vision, which is really important and not the same, <laughs> to enhance and move our work forward. So as we think about that and how we further activate families, because we know that they're going to be our, our first recipient of services that we're doing here together and thinking about the diversity that you see here at the table. I wonder if you could describe or, or share with us how you think we could work better together. Yeah. So I think definitely in Najra being here, I think with the childcare program that she has in the organization and the location that provides that literacy support um, for culturally uh, responsive space. And I think that it also has helps um, support the child's development very early on with those partnerships. And then going off, we do have a lot of programming that goes from kindergarten to 12, that when youth go through programming, for example, in this case with Najwa's program, they can transition to our programming as we're part of DPSCD schools in our neighborhood to be able to continue that. And so we also work very closely with other organizations in the community. For example, Congress of Communities provides uh, virtual playgroups to around 70 families, actually, that are for families who either have a child care provider in their homes or parents who are home who are helping their child learn at the same time they're learning with their child and I think it's really nice to see that um, we've been able to kind of what uh, both of you were talking about be able to um, help parents have that not courage but that like confidence to be able to ask questions and I think something very important for us is to be able to have the materials translated in their language versus telling the student can you translate for your parents and to give them this information one not putting too much of that pressure to the youth but also giving that autonomy and that opportunity for the parent to ask more questions if needed. And so that's something that um, we've definitely seen in our organization, with our partnerships, and with others as well. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Wendy, I'm going to ask you uh, just to follow up a little bit more on that as an imperative lead for Hope Stars here, imperative number three. How does this look in terms of what we're doing as an effort, but in general, how can we work better together? What have you learned thus far in in doing the work of an imperative? So I would say what I have learned is just as we're all gathered around this table and we all have various perspectives, we're all interested in the same goal, improving services, quality of services, access to services for our families. And as we continue to convene and have summits and all of these other activities that we're doing, we're learning from each other. What we've learned is building trusted relationships is really, really key. And so we're learning how to work together in a cooperative way in a collective way towards the same end. I also wanted to just kind of piggyback on what I heard earlier. Partnership is so crucial. Partnerships among organizations, but individual partnerships between parents and children are key. And so Janine was speaking about one of the programs that we have at our agency, which is Parents as Teachers, is build on partnerships. So families and the parent educator are partnering together and they're going towards the same solution. And so they're not being kind of directed, you know, they're being partnered with and so partnerships are built into what we do in our organization is built into the Hope Starts Here work. And collectively, we're really learning about what works best for families, what doesn't, and really how to maintain kind of equity, 
if you will, and making sure that families are kept at the center of all that we do. And so for me, that's been really a, an eye-opening experience that we can all do this. We kind of used to working in silos, right? And this has given us an opportunity to bring all of our expertise together and just be on one kind of playing field towards what is best for children and families. And I found that the ideas generate and we're learning so much and we have all of these wonderful things that we can do and you know what our organization has we can build upon what you have and what you have and then we can learn from each other and all towards that goal that we want children and families to be put first by 2027 and so I think we're getting there um, through these types of convenings and these meetings and I just love the opportunities. Awesome that all makes me happy thank you for sharing <laughs> Wendy. So I want to April I'm going to direct this one at you first let's consider a family with a child who you would have considered to be an average early learner in Detroit. From data-driven Detroit data sets, this family would have a female household leader, be primarily English-speaking, who engaged and graduated from K-12 schooling yet tends to have lower proficiency outcomes. They are commuter with a medium household income less than 50000 so around $29,000. How would DPSCD, an institution where you work, work together to support this family transitioning from an early space or even home directly to your K-12 environment? Yeah, we have a few programs that are specifically looking at that family and thinking about how we can better support them. We currently have happening our kindergarten uh, boot camp program. It's a six-week program. It's offered in person and online, and it's an opportunity for families and students to learn together what kindergarten might be like in one of our DPSCD schools. We also uh, have a program called Kinder Rise, and this is an opportunity for students and families to come from their early childhood center into our schools to meet the kindergarten teacher, to spend a day in the kindergarten classroom, to be supported in enrolling in a various variety of fun activities. I think the other way that we can all work together to support this family is deeply investing in the early learning provider so that our students are coming to kindergarten ready with specific focus on literacy. So really helping our kids come to kindergarten with the primary literacy skills, the foundational literacy and oral language skills they need. And the way that we do that is is really coming together on what can our early learning providers do to support students with acquiring, practicing, and having ample opportunities to, to have stronger foundational skills and literacy and early learning okay. or language. Thank you. So, Denise, uh, if I could just yeah, kind of piggyback sure. off what April was saying. So, what we have been doing in Imperative 3, Strategy 8, is really focusing a lot on professional development opportunities and what those need to look like because we do know that the early childhood providers need to know what kindergarten teachers, first grade teachers need from students. And so, having some opportunities for them to visit each other's classrooms. I know we don't do a lot of that now since we're in the middle of the pandemic, but can we do it virtually? Once things start to open up, can we have some kind of face-to-face, one-on-one opportunities where you hear 
what is needed for kindergarten success. And then the, the providers and, uh, are able to put those things into place. So we do believe there's shared opportunities for professional development, and we're looking to really advance those as we move forward. Yes. Can I yes. piggyback a little bit off that? So what about the families? And I guess maybe I'm, I'm not supposed to ask the questions, <laughs> but the question would be, what about those families who don't send their children to an early learning space? Those children are at home until they're five because really they don't have to go to school until they're six, right? Overall, I can't, that's a whole nother topic, right? And so how do we prepare those families? And I think that's where some of the programs, maybe like the, the Parents as Teachers program, just we could find more programs to help support those families who decide they don't want their children to go to school at an early learning center at that time. What do we do for those families? Even with migrant families that are coming in, they're not really comfortable with their child going to a school yet. So how do we support that family knowing that child will be five and have, will go to kindergarten? How do we support those families? I think it would be another question or something to think about. Yes, absolutely. I agree with you and thank you for, for elevating it. So when I spoke about transitions from home to school or yeah. that could include that family that you're talking about. So I'm wondering if you want to speak a little bit more about that, April. How have your teachers managed those children? What kind of additional supports have you had to provide in supporting teachers? I would like to say like a, a hope, like a next step to better support them and then talk about teachers a little bit. Because I think, you know, many of our schools are neighborhood schools and the children that we're talking about that are at home are in the neighborhoods. So I think there's an opportunity to grow collaboration with families of children that are under the age of four and five at the neighborhood school, right? So inviting them into more events, having more parent learning classes. We offer currently, and this is kind of how we're, we're helping at this time through our Office of Family and Community Engagement, we offer a variety of learning courses for families that are directed towards students that are transitioning into kindergarten, but also for just families that are in need of support and might want to learn more about reading with their students or more about doing mathematics with their students or how to help their child transition from kindergarten to first grades. And those are open to all community members, not just DPSCD enrolled students. Our teachers definitely go through specific professional learning on how to engage families. And our teachers are our greatest uh, resource in the neighborhoods. So when you talk to teachers as we're enrolling for our pre-kindergarten classroom, they already know the families. They already know the neighborhoods. They're reaching out because the siblings often are in the schools and, and the siblings are talking about their, their brothers and sisters. So our teachers are our greatest resource in our neighborhoods. And uh, they certainly reach out to families that they know uh, are eligible and seeking pre-kindergarten or that just have younger siblings that might be interested. Okay. Thank you. So I would share also the communications campaigns that we've been doing are really useful. When families have information, they can make decisions. And if we can begin to talk to families about the importance of attendance and how that relates to kindergarten readiness and all those things, when families get that information, it's going to help them to be able to understand why it's important for children to, to go to school and what options are. So as we're preparing our transition activities, we're trying to include you know that information that families can have access to. And then we're thinking about how families take information in. So how do you reach them? Does social media work for families? You know, and there are the options where 
families receive texts like ready for K and those kinds of things. So families can get some really brief updates. They're already looking at their cell phones for texting and really getting the information that they need to make decisions and get stuff that they may not have heard about or understand or able to make the link between, okay, this is really important for the next steps for them to be successful. So we know that they don't always have the information, but we're really trying to make sure that they have access to it through our transition tools and activities that we're sharing with families. Thank you, Wendy. So I want you to build on the conversation that we've been having around children who may not have had an early experience at all. So they may have transitioned directly from home to kindergarten or first grade. How are your schools supporting these children and families? And how might you have to provide additional supports to the educators in those classrooms? Yeah. So that is definitely a reality, right? In all of our schools, it doesn't matter what, what governance model it is. We, we do have children who do enter directly from home at age six or seven. And it poses, you know, unique challenges uh, to teachers. So our schools, I think, like other schools, you know, really trying to diagnose what the necessary academic needs as well as the social needs are because we can't ignore that piece of it. And so we try to provide that balanced approach. The charter schools in particular do, like all, like all schools, but we in particular tend to use a lot of data. And so we try and use whatever data we can find, both the anecdotal from the teachers as well as, you know, any sort of assessments that we can give. And so you'll find that many schools have a school and, and family or parent liaison at the building itself to help get some of that information and to help educate families and parents about how they can support at home. The more we know about the, the child's first six or seven years of life, the better we can serve them. What I see also is that class sizes are typically small, and so you've got uh, teachers and uh, teaching assistants that get, can get to know and, and really understand each child individually. So we will see some grouping and some other you know extra uh, attention given to students. And then you know as we think about how to support the teachers, it's ensuring that they have the resources that they need ensuring that they're given opportunity to give feedback to the school itself and shape professional learning and resources. You know, as a former charter school principal, that was, you know, and I heard someone say it before, the teachers are the best sources of information. That's what I used to do is, is listen to my teachers and say, you know, and so sometimes we may have had plan A for what we were going to do, but after we got the feedback from the teachers, we realized that plan A wasn't the right plan. And so we needed to go back to the drawing board and restructure what we were doing. The nice thing about, about a charter school is that because it's sort of an individual unit, the schools can be very nimble and adjust to needs almost as, as they come up and as they arise. Um, I think that that gives, gives them a little bit of leeway to, to really try and meet those needs um, for, for students. And then it's also about ensuring that their mental health and emotional health and wellness is, is attended to. And so we, you know, that is oftentimes at this young age is more important than the academics because without that, they're not going to learn their ABCs if they're not feeling comfortable and secure and, you know, taking care of in the environment. It's, it's a hard transition to leave the nest and come into a classroom. So taking times, a lot of our schools do do, and this is for students in general, but I think it, it, it really fits the needs of some of these learners that we're talking about, do orientations and sort of programs ahead of time to teach them what is, what is school all about. What, you know, and maybe, you know, we may do it for kindergartners and we may do it for, you know, new students to school and for students who are entering school for the first time, just so that some of those structural pieces don't become obstacles or deterrents. 
you know, I recently had an experience where my daughter and her friend started camp in a new school and they've never been at any school except their own. And this is a new school. Another mom called me and said, you know, my daughter came home and, and was really upset and almost had an accident. And I said, well, what happened? And she said, well, she didn't know where the bathroom was. And I thought, you know, it's something simple like that that can just make or break a kid's day. And so really paying attention to those kinds of details and taking time for it, you know, something I believe that all, you know, all of us should be doing. Yeah. Agreed.